If they want to put me in jail, put me in jail. But they haven't got a jail big enough to put all of us in. For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. A letter carrier defies the law during the great postal strike of 1970. It was about wages and the ability to speak with one voice in the workplace. Today, letter carriers are fighting threats of privatization. On this podcast, we have a conversation with a representative of the New York State Association of Letter Carriers. Joining me now on the podcast is Bill Cook. He is the Director of Legislation at the New York Association of Letter Carriers. Bill, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. You have uh, some other titles you hold as well. I do. My primary job is working as the president of Branch 358 of Northeastern New York for the National Association of Letter Carriers. I'm currently working also with our national president on 50-state vote-by-mail drive. Okay. Um, so let's clarify a couple things to begin with. Um, when we talk about workers for the U.S. Postal Service, um, it's confusing, I think, to some people on whether you're a government agency, are you federal employees? Clarify for us your role. We are quasi-government employees, which is why it sounds confusing. For instance, uh, we do take no... Uh, tax dollars from the American people to run the United States Postal Service, mm-hmm. but yet we are governed by two agencies who are the Board of Governors and the Postal Regulatory Commission, the members of whom are appointed by the president and approved by the Senate. And so the government still is involved in the running of the Postal Service, but we, on a day-to-day basis, operate like a corporation. Okay. And then as far as uh, the unions, uh, there's four different unions? Yes. There's the uh, uh, City Delivery Carriers, from National Association of Letter Carriers, the American Postal Workers Union, which are the clerks, the people who work at the front windows and, and the back offices and drive the trucks. Uh, there's the Rural Letter Carriers Association that deliver mail in the rural areas of our country. And there are the mail handlers who are work on the docks. We're not a closed shop. So, so, but you still have um, overall of those people who can benefit from a, a collective bargain agreement. It's like ninety four, ninety five percent of them choose to belong to the union. That's correct. My union local is at about ninety eight percent, which is fantastic. I mean, does that say something to you about what workers want? Is that they want to have that voice? They want to be part of something. They want to fight for working conditions and be a part of those decisions. I mean, what do you think that says? It speaks to uh, the power of the labor movement and of our union uh, addressing the needs of the employees. When we first have an opportunity to speak to our members to join our union is within the first couple of days that they are hired by the Postal Service. And all of them are interested, and virtually all of them sign up to join the union, and hardly any ever get out because they find the value of the service that we provide to them every day on the workroom floor. Well, that's a high percentage that choose to. That's great to hear. It is. And you have a high rate of military veterans who work for the Postal Service, too. Like, I read somewhere more than one in five letter carriers as a veteran. Yeah, approximately 25% of the letter carriers are veterans. Hmm. Why do you think that is? Do you attribute that to anything? Well, uh, those who are veterans have... um, preference. They're called preference eligible. Okay. Um, And those who are combat veterans have an additional preference. We we take tests to be able to uh, 
become employees of the Postal Service and they get additional points added on. Uh, but they're also, they, they've been working for the United States of America and since it's a voluntary choice to become a member of the armed services, uh, they, they want to work for the United States of America. And so it's not unusual for them to want to transition over into other federal service. Right. So they liked being a public servant and they want to continue in some capacity. Yes. On their home. Okay. And we're the second highest employer of veterans, uh, um, second after the Department of Defense. Great. Okay. Um, I'm wondering how Amazon has impacted the work that you do. You didn't always used to deliver on Sundays. Is that part of uh, that, just because of the volume of work? The new marketplace has significantly impacted the work that we do. Uh, And by that, I mean that the new marketplace has taken away uh, a good amount of letters mail that is uh, delivered by the by our carriers every day because people are paying their bills online, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they're also buying online at record rates that we've never seen before. Um, and Amazon is certainly the, the uh, elephant in the room. Uh, it's, the, it's the biggest uh, shipper. And while there are elements in the administration and Congress um, who are putting the post service in a position to want to reduce our del- delivery days from six days to five? Amazon insisted on seven days, and so we are delivering seven days a week. It's a strong business in the parcel business, mm-hmm. and uh, we are the largest deliverer of uh, parcel posts from business to resident and from resident to resident uh, of all the uh, shipping options in the nation. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about Stamp Out Hunger. You just had the 27th annual Stamp Out Hunger food drive. That was on May 11th. Once again, conduct the Stamp Out Hunger food drive, our nation's largest one-day food drive. From coast to coast, letter carriers from more than 1,400 NALC branches and local communities will band together to collect donations. Can you tell me, how did that all get started, that, that food drive? Where did that come from? What we have seen, if you... Back up 27 years, we started to see what was happening in our communities. Uh, For instance, in New York State, before 1980, there were no food banks. Mm -hmm. And we started seeing more and more food banks developing. But we also are at everybody's homes six days a week, and we could tell what was going on. We could see that people were becoming more and more food insecure. And so we wanted to take the power of our ability to be at every uh, home and every business six days a week and do something about the hunger that was developing in America. That's interesting because, you, yeah, you're right. You are part of the community. You see these people on a regular basis and how they're living and struggling. We do. We, we, we grow old with our, our customers. You know, we, we see the, the customers grow old and pass on. We, we see the kids grow up. We get invited into the backyards for high school graduation parties. We're very much part of the community that way. We're very embedded. When you think about it, I mean, you don't see your neighbor every day, maybe not every week, but with you guys, with the letter carriers, you do. I mean, if you're home at that time, right? You you build these relationships. Absolutely. So the food, um, it stays local when that happens? It does. It's collected locally, and the food banks locally um, uh, register with us uh, to become eligible to come to our post office and pick up that food directly. Do you have any idea how much was has been raised over the years, like a total amount or locally? or? Well, nationwide, it's 1.67 billion pounds. Wow. We're the largest food drive in the nation. 
That's impressive. Last year, uh, within the region of the, say, the Capital District Area Labor mm-hmm. Federation, of which I'm a part, uh, we collected uh, about 400,000 pounds. Fantastic. That's great. I'm sure people appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit about um, what's being discussed uh, in Washington again regarding the privatization of the Postal Service. It's a renewed push. Uh, what's going on with that right now? Well, the the genesis of the privatization recently has been um, a manufactured financial crisis that Congress caused when they passed the Postal uh, Enhancement Act in, in 2006. And what it has done is financially driven the Postal Service to the point of uh, not being able to pay its bills. It's hard for people to understand what is going on, but most of us employees um, have a relationship with our employee, which after we retire, benefits continue from the employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, it's health benefits. And the Postal Service, once we retire, contributes about 40% of our health benefit premium to our health benefit plans. Mm-hmm. What this act did in 2006 was set a baseline of employees that the Postal Service would have to pre-fund that health benefit premium 75 years out. Mm-hmm. So, one, there we were, were the Postal Service was required to pay for people who weren't hired yet. Right. Paying for people who may not even ha- be eligible for those benefits because they may not le- they may they'll leave the postal service before before they're vested, and then three, the rest of those employees they wanted to pay all of that seventy five year obligation within ten years. It is it feel like a setup for failure, um, attempt to maybe eliminate collective bargaining rights, go after the unions, or what is because that's uh, that's a big burden. It's all of that. It, the Postal Service is one of the few agencies that is freestanding. It doesn't take in tax dollars, um, but it does generate revenue. And in fact, if, if not for this, we would be making billions of dollars. And Congress sees that. The administration see that. And mm-hmm. it's regardless of party, it, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, so the Postal Service is, was getting tapped to, to pre-fund the, the health benefit premiums. No other agency is, mm-hmm. as no other employee in the United States is. And it's $5.4 billion a year that they're being taxed. And they're at the point where they can't do it anymore. Right. And there are elements in Congress for political interests who are trying to drive us to the point of not being able to continue on because there are parts of the business that are very profitable. Mm -hmm. If you could deliver mail within the confines of New York City, for instance, there's a different um, cost-benefit analysis there Mm -hmm. than if you were delivering mail in... um, uh, Like a rural... Area. Rural areas, sure. here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for instance, northern New York in the Adirondacks, right. where either the communities are very small and spread far, far, mm-hmm. you know, few and far between. Right. Right. Uh, and, and private uh, businesses do pick and choose mm-hmm. who they deliver to. You know, as I said, we're the largest. We deliver the most parcels from businesses to residents in part because, or in no small part because, 
we deliver what's called the last mile. Every home, every business, six days a week. Mm-hmm. None of our competitors do that. They can't do it. They can't. They don't find the profit margin there, mm-hmm. which is why you, earlier you talked about Amazon. Well, we also take in parcel posts from Federal Express and for United Parcel Service also. Right. They'll drop with us and have contracts with us to take their parcels to those areas of the country where they don't find it profitable to have their trucks drive and, and deliver the, their parcels. So then when there's talk about franchising it, then you're talking about cherry picking, you know, that what you just yeah. explained. Right. right? Cherry picking the, the best parts of the United States. And that was, you know, in part of the administration's proposal. And this just doesn't come out of nowhere. This has been a project that uh, certain uh, uh, interests in Washington have been pursuing for years. And now they're working for the administration. And now they put forth their their proposals several months ago that this is what they want to do. They want to let other companies have access to our mailboxes. Right now, nothing but postal service mail is allowed in mailboxes. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it's, it is still a monopoly box. Right. And they want to... They want access to that. They want access to it. And mm-hmm. they want to be able to buy access to it, which is supposedly a good idea, but it's not. We are government employees in that before we're hired and while we remain hired, at least four times a year, our background is checked by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Mm-hmm. Four times a year? Yes. Oh, okay. So that America can at least be rest assured that as we come to their homes mm-hmm. and, put, and put mail into their mailboxes, we end up knowing what's going on behind those front doors. Right. Because right. we're there so often. Yeah. And that is a privacy that has to be maintained. And protected. And protected, mm-hmm. which is why 88% of America likes the Postal Service and even more likes their letter carrier because we honor that privacy. And because of that, we take very seriously our mission uh, as a union to protect the, uh, uh, the people of the United States. And once you're going to put that up for a bid to profit off of? It, it, it becomes at risk. Right. Absolutely. It, it, it costs a lot of money to constantly do background checks, for instance. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of time and money to but do that. But it's important and it's Absolutely. worth it. Absolutely. And so you've been trying to get the word out um, about this uh, privatization push that's going on. Ever wonder what you can send through the mail? Turns out, a lot. We not only have the largest postal service in the world with the lowest rates, no tax dollars are used to support it. The post office will take almost anything but your tax dollars. But some in the government want to sell off the post office to private corporations. So I know you used tax day April 15th to get your message out, and that was one of the messages you wanted to get out on tax day to say, we started the show with, it's not your tax dollars that go toward the U.S. Postal Service. That's right. And and what we're also trying to say through that message is, is that when you're sending your tax returns in, we're going to guarantee they get there. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, as I said before, I'm working on the vote-by-mail project. The most secure way that America can vote is voting by mail. It's highly secure. Mm-hmm. And there are many Americans who have their prescription drugs shipped through the mail. Right. So the ability to be able to preserve the, the 
service that the Postal Service provides to the American public is is very significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite all attempts to uh, reduce our services and, and drive us to the point where we cannot um, fulfill our mission, the American public is still with us. Now, the good news is, is that with the change in leadership in the House of Representatives, we now have a bipartisan bill that was introduced on April 28th called the USPS Fairness Act. It's H.R. 2382. Mm -hmm. And what that bill is going to do, it's a very simple and straightforward bill, it's going to stop the requirement of the Postal Service to pre-fund our health benefits for future retirees. Okay, that's what you need to happen to be able to... Yes. Once we do that and we can stop this onerous $5.4 billion payment to the federal government, we can start talking about other other things, other services that the that the uh, Postal Service can provide. So um, you are, what other ways are you trying to get the word out? You talked about this legislation. Um, you've, you've had the, the ads out there using tax day. Are there other ways you're trying to let people know, raise awareness to this? Well, we are, and we are advertising, of course, and um, it's a question that my membership asks me. And my answer to them is, Make sure everybody's mail gets delivered to their mailbox every day. Service your customer like your job depends on it because it does. Mm-hmm. And so even though the Postal Service has been driven to the point where they've had to take more days to deliver mail from point A to point B, mm-hmm. as long as when we are at that mailbox as uniformed letter carriers and we're putting that mail in that mailbox – that customer knows that the Postal Service is still operating, and, and they appreciate it mm-hmm. and uh, everything that we do for them every day. You talked about other services that the Postal Service would like to look at to start providing. What kinds of services? Well, one of the uh, services that is being looked at is the reinstitution of postal banking. We used to be a banking service. Uh, until the 1970s when the, the banks, um, with their influence, stopped it mm-hmm. from happening. But there are communities that it's hard to find a bank in rural areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got the post office. But you've got so, the post mm-hmm. office that can, can do just that. Um, or in areas where, where, where people uh, cannot afford to, to have a bank account mm-hmm. um, and who go to... Uh, payday lenders and pay exorbitant fees to cash their paycheck. And these are people who, who can't afford to lose a nickel. Right. You know? So the idea is pro- make these services available to people right there at the postal service. Yes. The post office. Yes. You mentioned um, 1970s. 1970 was the great postal strike. Yes. There is hardly any dispute in the administration, the post office department, or among the business critics of the strike that the postal workers' grievances are real. A letter carrier, no matter where he lives, starts at a salary of $6,176 a year. If he lasts 21 years, he may receive a top income of $8,400. So was that the main reason for that strike in 1970? That was the only strike by the Postal Service, right? That's right. It was illegal at that time, and it's still illegal today to strike. He mentioned we heard the uh, news broadcaster talk about the salaries. Was it over? What was it over salaries, working conditions? What was that strike about? It was over salaries and, and working conditions, uh, driven by the fact that we did not have a right to um, collectively beg 
the mm-hmm. Congress of the United States. The laws were such that we actually had our families have to beg the Congress for changes to allow us to earn more money, uh, for example. It, it got to the point where um, our members were living in public housing. So how many years had it been before anyone had gotten any kind of salary increase? It's about 10 years. When that strike happened. So 10 years without any kind of increase. Yes. Cost of living's going up. Yes. And so then the strike happened. Let's hear from some of the workers from back then. But we must because they've been pussyfooting too long. You can't live in New York City on what they're giving us. I've been told I'm eligible for welfare. But I don't want to take welfare. We want to work, want but to this work, is right. the only means we have of letting Congress know that we cannot take it any longer. Either they give us what we should have, we or we will living. stay out on strike until hell freezes over. We don't want to go back under collective begging. We want to go back under collective bargaining. That's a great way to put it. You <laughs> still use that today, right? Yes. So um, at some point, President Nixon, he sent out, was it the National Guard and others to deliver the mail? He did. He, he sent out tens of thousands to uh, uh, try to process the mail uh, while we were on strike. It was proven to be highly unsuccessful. Because they didn't know what they were doing. But it was his attempt to break the union. Mm-hmm. Yes. And how long did the strike last? Eight days. In Chicago, when about 50 male men on the picket line voted to stay on strike despite a back-to-work court order. Well, what if what you're doing is illegal? I don't care. Now, I know it's against the law. That's in the Constitution. It's in my contract. If they want to put me in jail, put me in jail. But they haven't got a jail big enough to put all of us in. And so there you go. There was some determination, huh? Absolutely. And you want to look at this in the context of where we were at the time. Uh, I knew people who were uh, combat vets from Iwo Jima, from D-Day, um, served in the, the battles in Korea. And we were now having vets coming back from Vietnam. And at that time, because of the the number of people who, who came back and started working the post service after the World War II and Korean War, the majority of the of the letter carriers were combat vets. Mm-hmm. They put everything on the line, and they were getting nothing back from their country. Right. And when they left their homes that day in New York City, um, the, I had the pleasure of knowing these folks and, and talking with them. They didn't know if they were coming home because they didn't know if there was going to be mass arrests. Mm-hmm. when they went to the picket line. But they they had to do something for their dignity as people, as wage earners. As one said, the first time I went on strike, I felt like a man mm-hmm. because the, the conditions in which they were working were just got to the point of being intolerable, which is very similar to what you know, we know as labor history we heard with the, the, the Flint GM strike. Mm-hmm. You know, when it gets to the point where you can't take it anymore, you, you do it even if it's illegal. And that's really where the power of the union came from. It came from the grassroots telling the national leadership, that's it, we're going, and follow us. Right, and people need to know that when when we see strikes today and understand that, how difficult of a decision that is to make. You know, what's at stake and what you're willing to give up in order to make things better. Absolutely. You know, we've, uh, as a union, have watched what the teachers have done around this country in states where it's illegal to strike and they walked and to produce results and they've gotten results from it. And that's where, you know, what we learned is 
sometimes you just have to do what's humanly right mm -hmm. for yourself and for the people you work with and, and, for, and for the country. And I don't want to suggest um, to our listeners with talking here that you would be old enough to have participated in that strike because you did not. So I just want to make that clear. But you you were brought on in a time when people were talking about it and impacted by it. And then as a result of the strike, you have the ability to have collective bargaining. Is it, Or tell me what was won in that strike. Well, what was won in the strike is that um, immediately the, the terms of the the agreement was 14% wages, wages over two years and additional wages that would, were going to be promised uh, when the Postal Reorganization Act of 1970 was enacted into law, which it, that happened in July. The, the, it was basically the last week of March, early April, where the strike was. And then that following July is where the Postal Reorganization Act was passed and enacted into law by President Nixon, the same president who tried to break our union. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that act gave us full collective bargaining rights that we didn't have previously. Right. We didn't have the right as a to collectively bargain as a union for our wages and benefits. And it just shows you what that could, what, what people get pushed to that brink, what that will do and how it brings people together. And that feeling afterward with those, with wins like that just must have been spectacular. It was. It, it was very powerful. It was, it was called the good guy strike. <laughs> okay. um, we had a lot of uh, backing of, of public opinion. People were on your side. Yeah. Absolutely. Same thing that you see today you know, with the, the strikes that are happening uh, here locally, with mm -hmm. the strikes that have happened in the Albany area, but also nationwide with the teachers who are going out on strike. The public is behind the right to have dignity and be able to earn a fair wage for, for the hours that you work. That's why the uh, approval rating of unions right now is, is higher than it's been in so long. I think, you know, people are really recognizing the value of union membership. Yes, absolutely. So um, just to wrap things up then, um, would you say the uh, biggest uh, thing that you're facing right now is this uh, attempt to, or at least this threat of privatization? And, and and is there somewhere where people can learn more about that? Yes, it is the uh, the biggest threat to our, um, the existence of the Postal Service. Mm -hmm. um, you can certainly go to um, our union's website, NALC.org, and uh, look at all the information that it's avail that's available there. It's an open site for people to look at. Okay. And we'll make sure that we include that in our show notes, too, so people can learn more about it. Well, thank you, Bill, for being on the program today. I appreciate it. It was very interesting. I feel like we could talk about this for another half hour or so, so we'll have to bring you back sometime. It's nice to talk about the labor history. Thank you. Glad to be here, Darcy. Thank you. Joining me now on the podcast is our digital director, Kevin Einsman. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Hi, Darcy. He was very interesting. A lot of interesting stuff there about the Postal Service and that strike. And... Absolutely. I, I've gotten to know Bill Cook for a long time, and he's a wealth of knowledge of all things labor, especially when it comes to the, the Postal Service. Um, how's it going with the, uh, you see many more pictures of our Union Strong hats out there? A few, yeah. We've, we've gotten some good pictures. Uh, you know, just thinking about it today, those all those hats were delivered by the Postal Service. That's right. Uh, so that's great. Uh, but yeah, we could use some more pictures on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, stay in the conversation with us. Tweet us a uh, picture of yourself with the hat, hashtag Union Strong. Uh, we'd love to see it, share it. And, you know, if you listen to an episode that uh, you like, help us share that, get the information out. We're always putting uh, new information out, so join us in the conversation. Yeah, we just we need uh, your support, and uh, we can get reach that many more people with our, our message on uh, keeping Union Strong. Yeah, absolutely. UnionStrongNY.com. Great. Thanks, Kevin. And until next time, stay union, stay strong. <laughs>